Have you had your soup today? And the cold, crisp taste of Coke is so satisfying, it keeps me from eating something else that might really add those pounds. Welcome to the 100th episode of Sheologians. We are here today to put the her in 100th. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> I love it. It's like it was perfectly designed for our 100th episode. It was. You did that. I did that. <laughs> we did this. Mm-hmm. Joy. Oh, wait. My name's Summer. <laughs> That's right. Somehow, I've had 99 (laughs) episodes of practice. Still don't have the intro. (laughs) My name's Summer, and I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Joy. And Joy, I just want you to know that I cried a little bit with excitement on my drive here this morning when I thought about the fact that we're recording our 100th episode. And also, this part's more important. Mm -hmm. If... Oh, gosh. Your laughter indicates how important it is. It is. I really want you to know this. Okay. Okay. Am I going to cry? Maybe. Okay. Okay. If blind... I already am. (laughs) I'm just crying. I'm just crying. Ready. There's a Shergati in here. I'm ready. Okay. If blind aliens invaded the planet and hunted us with their incredible sense of hearing. Okay. I would persist alongside you in building a feministy farming utopia silently. <laughs> I don't know if it can work. Can a feminist do anything quietly? No. Haven't you ever read Feminist Baby? They're loud and they don't care. Right. <laughs> I'm taking this to so many deep levels. Yeah, and it's not that deep. But... I really think that we could do it, you know? Because technically you could read Feminist Baby really quietly (laughs) or silently in your head. Right. Which is the best way to read. (laughs) We would persist. Yeah. And there's a farming utopia. Nevertheless. (laughs) These blind aliens cannot get us down. Mm -mm. We will not be oppressed. And we'll build a farming utopia. It'll be great. Sounds good. Yeah. Um... You are right. I'm Joy. Right about everything I just said. Yeah. Oh, I think so. (laughs) If that ever happens, I think so. (laughs) Um, But you're right. I am Joy. And I'm here with my beautiful co-host, Summer. And Summer, I want you to know that I'm really happy that this is important to you. Because it's important to me. And I can't slash won't do it without you. (laughs) You know, can we talk about the can't won't distinction? Uh Because um, some people put a lot of emphasis on using can't or won't. Mm -hmm. Are you that kind of person? Like, will you correct yourself if you're like, I can't do that? And you're like, wait, 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 no, no, I won't do that. I mean, I did do that when I typed this. (laughs) First, I wrote. Okay. I wrote. And now I can't find it in my notes. I mean, obviously. It's the most (laughs) like I memorized it. And I can't do it without you. Smiley face. That's how I wrote it. And then I just wrote slash won't. won't. <laughs> so like it kind of drives me nuts when somebody would be like, hey, can you do this for me? And then the other person's like, well, I can, but. Oh, I mean, I don't do that. Okay. You're not May that. I? I don't know. Can you go to the bathroom? <laughs> I mean, sometimes I think parents just want to do that to kids because I don't even know why. I think all the kids just start going no i really want to know can i (laughs) no seriously can i do that can Mm -hmm. i do that thing can i please do that thing i don't know i just wanted to know if you're that person like are you picky about Mm -hmm. no this was just that the slash won't was added it was just an embellishment and it it. just contributed to a more Mm -hmm. full and complete thought Mm -hmm. yeah i liked it no it was good it was good um, so yeah, hey you guys, it's our hundredth episode, it and is. 
I I can't believe it's been a hundred episodes. I know. And if you've been here from the beginning, wow, love you, thank you. Mm-hmm. I was trying to tell somebody the other day what our first couple episodes were about, but we're we're so many episodes in that I'm like at I'm at episode number I can't remember. Right. <laughs> I usually say about. like three thousand thirty two. Right. And we, by episode 10, couldn't remember what episode we were on. So, And those episodes were also short. I know. Do you guys remember? The confessions. Confessions. That's all I got. <laughs> <laughs> I remember a lot more after we did the feminist waves. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's weird. But And we'll hit the two-year mark at the end of September. Mm-hmm. So... There we're at. We hit the one million downloads mark a couple months ago. I didn't even see it happen. Yeah. So just by the time I noticed, we were like 31,000 downloads <laughs> past that. And I just forgot. I just didn't even. I was like, wow, that was kind of cool. I should yeah. have acknowledged that. But <laughs> well, and that kind of relates to my compliment, which is that like sometimes we we have a lot of fun. We're friends, obviously. And we happen to be friends that don't get to see each other except for right. every other week on right. Friday. Right. Um, and But every once in a while, I would say pretty regularly, I do like, I I get it. I get that this is an important thing that we're doing. Right. Um, not because like we're so great and right. important. Yeah. But this is just like a cool. It's weird. Meaningful thing that's been given to us to do. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I wanted to ask you. I was going to ask you, like, what what's the, the biggest thing? I don't know. I guess, like, the biggest thing that's, like, changed or that you've learned or, like, some kind of just anything over, like, the past hundred episodes. Like, what really sticks out to you in terms of, like, what's happened to you through this specifically? Hmm. Because... It's true. Like, what I mean, I've already told you guys when people are like, What do you do? I'm like, Oh, I have a podcast. That feels like such a weird thing to say. Like, yeah. who, who has a podcast? Like, mostly mm-hmm. narcissists. Right. Or people who like really just have something they need to talk about. Mm-hmm. But like, this thing kind of in a really weird way, like, happened to us. Like, we didn't. Well, and some people get it. Some people understand people who are in podcast land and listen to podcasts. They're like, Oh, this is such a lucrative thing right now. And then some people are like, I've met people who are, who have literally said to me, can you really make money from YouTube? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, you can. There are, pe- there are people who there make people a lot of money from YouTube. Millions of dollars yeah. from YouTube. And now there's like whole studios that put out just oh, yeah. podcasts mm-hmm. and like, that's what they do. Yeah. And obviously they're in a totally different league than we are. Right. But One like, day. here we are doing this weird thing that, like we never really set out to do and it's been, it's just been crazy and weird and we've changed so much and it's only been a year and a half. And I just feel like, I don't know, God has really blessed it. Mm -hmm. And I don't even mean that in like a, sometimes people are like, Oh, God's blessing me. And it's like this really fake self congratulatory thing, but it's like, I can't believe what has happened with yeah, this Yeah, this was not expected at all. No, somebody <laughs> told us to do this. Yeah. And we're like, oh, that'll be fun. Sure. 15 minute micro podcast. <laughs> cool. And now this is this weird thing. Right. This is where we're at. <laughs> like, I don't, I think that, so the biggest thing that sticks out for me is just like, um, I think we went through this weird curve where like in the beginning we were doing these micro podcasts and we would come with like, notes and like what we wanted to say and get done in like 15 20 minutes Mm -hmm. and it was like oh no what are we going to talk about next week and like we still have to plan like what we want to talk about right but then so we got a little comfortable and we started like talking for as long as we wanted about whatever we wanted we didn't feel so much pressure yeah we're like okay this is comfortable but then we started experiencing that like really kind of self-conscious like like, oh, well, if I say this, then somebody's going to think that. And we got like really nervous for a yeah. while. I feel like we had that curve. Lots of qualifiers and things. Probably episodes like 45 through 55. I feel like we were really self-conscious. Yep. That's a total guess. But I know like in the middle there. Right. We got really self-conscious and 
I feel like now we've gotten to a point where we're just like really comfortable, maybe yeah. too comfortable. Um, <laughs> maybe we are a little too comfortable. Um, that's a thought. Uh, I don't want any too much laughing. I don't want any feedback on that. Um, <laughs> but I do. I just feel like uh, we're just like it's like riding a bike now. Like mm-hmm. we kind of just like oh, I feel like talking about this, and then we try to like figure out how we can like make it understandable and like bless people and just have a normal conversation. And I don't, it's just been like a weird curve that I see. Yeah. And if you haven't listened since episode one, you probably didn't see it, but it's there, but it's for sure there. I agree with you. Um, for the sake of not also having that be my answer. (laughs) Okay. I think something that I have noticed just on an individual level, I think I've gotten a lot, better at podcasting okay i have a feel for kind of what this is and what i'm supposed to be in this space which i don't just do this one podcast right i was about to say you have like years of podcasting experience it's helpful for me yeah um this is not your first rodeo no and i'm not saying that i was like not a good podcaster before but there is just sort of a there's a level of confidence, mm-hmm. which I, I don't even know if I like that word to describe it, but, uh, like, I feel like I know what I'm doing. Yeah. I feel like this is important. Mm-hmm. Um, and that we're really accomplishing something. Okay. So this is our product. Right. And it's not tangible. Right. But we can still accomplish right. things with it. And so it's important to me. And that translates into doing better research and thinking more complete thoughts. And yeah, um, and that's just beneficial, I think, probably for both of us, mm-hmm. even in our private lives. Yeah. It's great accountability to have to sit down and study. Yes. Something. Yeah. Well, and I think that's a Christian concept that you brought up, too. Um, I guess, like, I just think that so we had this fun thought that we were wanted to do and originally it was just like for ourselves for fun yeah but we still wanted to do a good job yeah because there is this biblical concept of like doing the best that you can at whatever you put your hands to for the glory of god not for your own glory yeah but for the glory of god so whether it's something that people are going to see or not or hear or not you should do like the best that you can. And so I guess I would just encourage like women who are listening, like if there's like a creative project that you want to do, like the number one thing you should ask yourself is like, well, can, can I do this to like glorify God and let that like, just do it. Like just kind of step into it. And if you, if you're like on the fence about whether you should do this creative thing, like, I just think it's so good for, like women to be encouraged to do that because I know a lot of us like you might not have the confidence to do it. I mean, I certainly that's did. a huge thing. I did not have the confidence that's to the, do this when we started. Hands down, the biggest thing I have learned working for Apologia Studios. What it creatively and everywhere. Let's face it. Yeah, I'm a little bit of a perfectionist. Yes. So like your two options essentially are this: mm-hmm. create. Mm-hmm. And keep it private until it's perfect, which it will never be. Which, yeah, yeah. Create Mm -hmm. to the best of your ability. Mm -hmm. Release it. Yeah. And see what happens. If you feel like you didn't do something well, you do it better the next time. Right. That's how you learn. Yeah. And it's very, it, it doesn't really accomplish anything to never release. Yeah. What you've created. Yeah. Um, so it's important like it's a it's a part of being creative is letting someone see yeah no for sure and (laughs) i love and and this might sound silly but like i genuinely mean this i love when like my friends who are learning how to crochet or knit Mm -hmm. or make jewelry or dolls like they share it and i look at what these these women do and they share pictures on facebook all the time they're like oh look this is my first hat And that might seem like this like small thing, but like, I mean, I couldn't do that. You know what I mean? Like 
we all have like different gifts and talents. And I just like want to encourage women to like whatever that is, like do it and share it because that legitimately like this sounds silly, but I mean it like women who can sit there and knit something like that inspires me. That makes me want to like go make something. And right. all you did was like knit something and maybe you shared it because you were proud of it or mm-hmm. you wanted to sell it or whatever. But it's like, I think that all of us have a need to create in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, we image our creator. Right. And so I just think like, do it. Just do Agreed. it. You don't know what's going to happen. Nothing could happen. A lot could happen. You don't know. But like if you're doing it, for God, firstly, then like just trust him with the results. Yeah. Is all. So anyway, that, I didn't mean to take us there. That's okay. But we went there. I think for this episode, that's a... That's fine. That's fine. Okay. It works. <laughs> so, okay. This, again, was your topic idea. And I love yeah. it because I think that since we talked about... Um, feminism last I think actually a lot of things have changed and I think that is our cultural reality right now is that things change really really fast yes it's still tale as old as time yep but it's like constantly moving Mm -hmm. and um I also think that this is it's it's even changing more quickly in the church than I could have foresaw right like in any meaningful way that's what I mean like um like it is, we didn't, at the beginning, I don't think we realized how meaningful it would be. We were told it would be meaningful, but we didn't quite know it no. yet. Right. And even when we, when we originally did our feminist waves, mm-hmm. um, I don't think we realized how important it would be mm-hmm. for two ladies to talk about feminism. Right. <laughs> to this, to the, Christian reformed, whatever demographic you want to go with yeah. to that demographic. And it is, yeah. it's become, if anything, more and more important. It was always important, but. Right. But your premise is really interesting because when you first kind of threw this idea at me, mm-hmm. I was like, well, yeah, are we there yet? Right. I don't, I, and I wanted to know where you were going with it. So anyway, I guess kind of your premise was, what was, what well, did you so say? Sitting at the top of my notes page for, I would even venture to say months at this point has been the words have been the words. I don't has been the words has been. What if feminists got everything they wanted? Mm -hmm. Question mark. And so of course for me, I start imagining this like futuristic dystopian world. Sci-fi. Right. (laughs) This very like George Orwell. Right. I mean, name, name a sci-fi writer. Right. That. Yeah. And so, yeah, I imagined in my head this world where what would this world look like if feminists got what they wanted? Right. Well, and for me, when you asked me that question, when you said, what if feminists got everything they wanted? I was like, well, aren't we already there? Right. I feel like we can see it now. Mm -hmm. So I do think it's going to continue to get worse. Right. (laughs) For a while, at least. Right. Um, But I think that we're already in a lot of ways we're already there mm-hmm. um into the we are in the future of what the early feminists wanted right um we're like in the goal achieving stage yeah of all these long-term goals yes that i would say specifically the women's liberation movement the second wave yeah was looking for yeah i think we've departed a little bit from your first wave well, even but still, right. Well, even, and I brought, um, Emma Goldman, who was Margaret Sanger's mentor. Right. So this was the first wave. Well, and then I found a whole bunch of like historical transcription and letters between, um, wh- I mean, between whoever, uh, that are like all the way back to 1838. Right. Right. Well, in the 20s, Emma Goldman said that marriage condemned women to lifelong dependency, to parasitism, to complete uselessness, individual as well as social. And Susan B. Anthony said, I never felt I could give up my life of freedom to become a man's housekeeper. And so we see these these first wave of feminists who hated marriage, Mm -hmm. repudiated marriage, and we're seeing the fruits of what that 
oh yeah that practical outworking of hating marriage and and looking at housewives as parasites we're seeing that practical outworking now all over right. and even in the church right so don't don't try and say feminists haven't been working towards some sort of objective right don't try and say they've been neutral and it's just the radical notion that women are equal to men right because they had a plan mm -hmm. and they enacted it they've done a very good job enacting and it. they did a really good job considering for yeah. a lot of it they couldn't vote even right right <laughs> and i i think that there's a lot of um i think it's becoming more and more popular for christian women yeah to look more politely upon feminism mm -hmm. as if those things that we just heard weren't central basic tenets right. of feminism. Right. The destruction of the family is not pro-woman right. in any way. We've been acting like they don't have a utopia in their words. Right. That they are looking right. to accomplish. Like we, we act like they don't have this vision right. in mind. Right. But they do. Right. And so... Um, I think that part, so we, we know what the feminists wanted and you were specifically talking about the women's liberation movement, mm -hmm. which is associated with the second wave. Yeah. We know they wanted abortion on demand. Mm -hmm. Um, and we know that one of the most, I mean, harmful things that's ever happened to women <laughs> is abortion on demand. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of this conversation boils down to a biblical, view of sexuality that is not rooted in any kind of teleological meaningful truth. So we have we have women who, you know, they don't want you to define womanhood or what that means, you know, based on just a couple of verses. And they kind of live as though uh, if you have a more conservative view, of womanhood that you're just basing that off of your cultural understanding and maybe a verse here or there. But our argument would be that our understanding of what men and women are is based on the Imago Dei. It's right. teleological. It's a worldview that says that we have to live in accord with the design of our bodies. And so I think that the idea that, um, you know, you're born and you're just a woman or a man and it's kind of incidental to who you really are, which is a, a mind-body dualism that we see playing out in discussions around um, homosexuality, abortion, gender. Um, it creates a real alienation of, like, us from our bodies. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that we look down on how we were made as if it doesn't tell us anything about who we are. And I don't, I think that we've kind of bought into this idea that your who you are has nothing to do with your, your body. You see that playing out a lot with the transgender community mm -hmm. where, I mean, who, what even is a woman in the transgender community? They can't define it. Well, they define it by how, who you think that you are. Right. I mean, it's, I think therefore I am which was the, the foundation of this mind-body split. Um, and so I think that in order to really understand almost all of the controversial issues of our day, which feminism has played a huge, huge role in um, by creating the sexual revolution, was this concept of a human being that is essentially fractured into the mind body split. And I think that all secular thought has to um, assume that because essentially we argue through abortion that a person isn't really a person because they haven't been born yet. They're not thinking sentient creatures yet. Mm -hmm. Therefore their body can be destroyed. Um, and the body is defined as, well, the body is a fact realm. This can be like determined. And then the person realm is the, the, the mind realm mm -hmm. is, is, has rights. Um, and so that's why if a woman who we, who has a, 
uh, mind and is thinking decides that she doesn't want her baby anymore, that's why she can get rid of it. Because Mm -hmm. at that point, the baby is just this material. It's not really, it's this, it doesn't, it's not a person. Right. And so that dualism has fragmented how we view ourselves, how we um, view our being. And I think that it's leaking into everything and that feminism has been a huge driver behind that because essentially feminism says that, um, okay, I'm a woman, but that shouldn't have any bearing on how you treat me. Right. And that's not true. Right. It's a, like, it's a weird, like scrubbing of, well, okay. So fundamentally it's wrong because the idea behind a lot of this is that, uh, gender norms are conventional and oppressive societally conditioned yes and so the idea that women are the way they are is based off of how society dictates um so by that logic if society dictates that women can act another way Mm -hmm. then that's okay but also i'm just going to point out that's conditioning too (laughs) yes so if conditioning is a problem you're also doing it (laughs) um (laughs) right but so the idea is that we um I think in a feminist utopia, we, I want to say, first of all, they would neutralize any, anything that makes us different from one another. Right. So, um, and then I also, I do think that there's the influence of like, as they refer to the patriarchy, uh, it's, it's in a way there's also a, like women, women were feeling underdeveloped and undervalued and mm-hmm. they looked to who they felt was most developed developed and valued mm-hmm. and they saw man and so they thought let's just be like him men don't have to worry about pregnancy neither do i right um so that kind of thing but then at the same time you have this weird you know now we're more into like sort of just neutrality right. over genders there shouldn't be any real gender norms that would facilitate how you would act or anything like that so i do think that um i think in a feminist society everyone would be nothing (laughs) right (laughs) and they would be completely autonomous Uh uh-huh this is all within this world that we're setting up just so you know because at the end we will get to how this is not doesn't work right won't be able to work right because it denies some pretty fundamental things um but I do think that um, in the feminist society, each person would be able to act however they want, whenever they want, mm-hmm. with whoever mm-hmm. or wherever. Right. <laughs> right. And it's uh, we would be completely quote. I mean, the the idea seems to be like complete autonomy. Like no one gets to look at me and say anything about me or impose anything upon me and uh this baby in my womb doesn't get to impose anything upon me and right um i think that i mean number one just the basic ones are things that feminists have been asking for forever which is that um women need to be lawmakers women need to be the decision makers women need to be the drivers women need to be in charge um there's a lot of that stuff there that i think is kind of like it all sounds very nice but does it really does it really fit right well and so i think that um something that i notice in terms of the word autonomy when Mm. you're looking through feminist literature that's mostly what i was looking through before we recorded this but freedom is the real thing. Yeah. Um, so the second wave is so interesting to me because we saw what we saw was this. I'm perfectly willing to admit that uh, male and female roles during the 1950s and ish mm-hmm. that area. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that those roles were necessarily biblical. Mm-hmm. I do think that we were maybe taking on like a little bit too much um, ownership 
over women and uh that's not that's not a thing that needs to be societally condemned it needs to be condemned in the individual and then you need to give people the gospel the the gospel the gospel i like that (laughs) one combination of gospel and hospital (laughs) i mean weird don't use that it's weird (laughs) no no i like it um and now i forgot where i was at i'm like floating away the 50s don't float away okay um and so you see a lot of the early the the earlier second wave feminists would say that um, they would acknowledge that the fact that all these time-saving innovations contributed to women having more time during the day in which they would use, they would use that time to realize that they felt they just didn't feel like they were doing any, anything of substance. Right. Like, what do I, what am I really doing? Why am I really here? Is this really all there is? Right. Um, So, very inappropriately Mm -hmm. (laughs) there were a few people obviously betty Friedan, the feminine mystique Mm -hmm. um another book that i found in my studies is is the female eunuch Mm. and then i also looked a little bit into ann oakley who came a little bit later on but she did a lot of work with the whole sex versus gender thing um so what their inappropriate suggestion was is that women feel undervalued because they're being treated as possessions or employees. Um, And so they needed to look within Mm -hmm. to find their value, to find their identity. Right. Um, The reason why that was so unfortunate is because what you saw was so many women leaving their families. Right. Um, And you guys already know how we feel about way too much introspection <laughs> introspection here on this show <laughs> um yeah it gets dangerous but it's essentially dangerous. So you had this group of women that felt undervalued and maybe they were that's not what we're debating um but so the the response was you should be your husband does whatever he wants so you should be able to do that too right he got he as if that's a quality to strive for right you know what i mean (laughs) well and so i mean even just right there you know i've thought this is just a thought that's been like if you if you wake up in the morning and you're not eager to do all your housework and do the laundry and cook dinner yeah do you think your husband feels differently when he has to get up at the crack of dawn (laughs) and go to work right and if your husband's behaving badly does that mean like the best thing you can do is like behave badly also right like, is that really what you want to rise to? Right. So basically, I don't even know how specific I want to get about this feminist utopia or dystopia. Sure. Depending on who you are. Yeah. But um, if they were able to create a world mm-hmm. that's exactly what they wanted, mm-hmm. it would only be in an attempt to create a pure environment for them to suppress the truth about God. Hopefully that makes sense with everything um, that we've been saying. Yes. Um, I also do think it starts to fall apart pretty quickly Uh, because I mean, what I just said, duh, really quickly, it totally denies uh, sin and depravity. It's only functional if people are basically good and that goodness needs to be like nurtured right inside of them um also it falls apart so uh the lady who wrote the female eunuch jermaine greer Mm -hmm. so that book came out in the 1970s and as you can probably guess it means that through time convention has essentially her words castrated females um and so you can probably guess what a lot of her liberation involved yeah, I promiscuity. Can. Um, I would venture to say that. But so um, she is a really interesting, vile person. Right. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but so she. I want to take her words to explain kind of what I'm getting at. Okay. Here. Yep. So um, because of objective truth, there will always be people that are not going to jump on the feminist bandwagon and are not going to accept this idea that gender roles and norms are, are purely 
societal mm-hmm. um and they won't they won't be rejecting god so they won't jump on the bandwagon here right um in order for it to be a utopia yeah <laughs> there can't be anyone resisting <laughs> right okay so this is this just points out some of the con- inconsistency to me so um Jermaine greer said well bras are a ludicrous invention she wrote this bras yeah are a ludicrous invention yes so you can understand in the context of where we were at here the bra burnings and all that got it yeah but she also wrote but if you make bralessness a rule you're just subjecting yourself to yet another repression okay so when you create rules about what it means to be a woman or a good woman Mm -hmm. whether it be bra versus braless okay um then you aren't free Oh, freedom isn't sustainable in a in a feminist society because women who embrace societally conditioned big air quotes their gender roles um there are always going to be those women. Right. Um so if the idea is to teach women to be free the message to women who are already free in Christ is you're not free. Right. In fact, it's the message to every woman who disagrees and it's completely condescending which i can sometimes appreciate wait what's condescending just that like you you even if you say to me as another woman mm-hmm. i am free mm-hmm. no you're not right and so what i'm right. what i'm trying to use this as an example to show is that even in your feminist magical dreamland <laughs> <laughs> right there is going to be a hierarchy yeah oh yes. i'm a woman yeah doesn't that designate me mm-hmm. like to to have my own opinion no not if it's anti-feminist right and that's what i mean so essentially jermaine greer would look at me and she would say you're not free right she also is quoted to say the freedom i pleaded for 20 years ago was freedom to be a person with dignity integrity nobility passion pride that constitute personhood freedom to run that personhood theory again freedom to run shout talk loudly and sit with your knees apart freedom to know and love the (laughs) earth and all that swims lies and curls upon it no thank you so i feel like there are plants out there that try to kill you well i feel like i have all those freedoms right right i think i do i feel like i'm a person the bible tells (laughs) me that right um integrity nobility passion pride i mean depending on how you mean that of course sure i think she means it as more of like a pride in one's accomplishments right don't make it sinful right can be okay um i can run shout talk loudly and i often do sit with what is it with feminists having to speak loudly and like this like i what is that in um in sarah bessie's book jesus feminist she has like this weird scene of like dancing on the beach and like banging pots and pans together like is that really freedom i don't sometimes when someone can't stand you talking loudly it's not because you're talking loudly it's because you're wrong (laughs) right (laughs) that's sometimes that's true (laughs) like loudness does not equal rightness like i don't understand okay anyway well so i also have the freedom to love the earth and all that swims lies and crawls upon it can i have the freedom not to because i don't love all bugs well that's what you have the freedom to not do it too okay okay anyway the most important part of her statement is this most of the women are still afraid still hungry still mute and loaded by religion with Mm. all kinds of fetters masked muzzled mutilated and beaten so you may say well no not all feminists are like that the ones from the women's liberation movement are the second wave yes they were like that yeah you better believe that's not the only quote Mm. (laughs) that i found (laughs) they're endless and they are yeah totally inappropriate for me to read here yeah well and you know that's the thing is like i think that we want to like really kind of neutralize the movement oh it's just about women being humans but it's like why don't you go read the hallmark feminist literature and find out what it's really about and then look at what's happened in our society as a result of these movements 
yeah, it's kind of a big deal. Right. And they do absolutely want to destroy the family. Right. That, that is what this has been about. Yep. And if you don't think that, it's because you haven't read enough of what they're talking about. Yep. Wait, we have a clip. Oh, right. From Ann Oakley. Who, all right, she was tell- one of my ladies who we... So she was um, a part of the women's liberation movement, which mm-hmm. is what they would have called feminism in the second wave. Okay. I mean, more than likely. They yeah. would have still used feminist, but... Yeah. Um, so they used to get together and do these groups called consciousness raising groups or awareness raising groups and it was essentially groups of women that would meet together in the 60s and 70s and they would talk about their plight as a woman they would talk about the secret abortions they had they would talk about that they were unhappy at home um and ann oakley did she did a lot of work in obviously like sex versus gender or it being different those two things being different rather right right. but she also did a lot of um sociological stuff on housewife's uh, housework, mm. uh, women who are in that position. And uh, that's the same thing that Br- Betty Friedan did before she wrote The Feminine Mystique. Right. Basically, they were communing together as women and what they discovered is that they were all unhappy. So the the awareness raising groups were more sort of after this had been established and they, the point of these groups, whether they were being used in regards to feminism or not, because this is they're not just used for feminism. The idea is that you get together in a group and you affect change. Right. You, you affect social change. You talk to one another mm-hmm. and you create a community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. A, so it may be small, mm-hmm. but it's a community of people who don't want things to stay the same way that they are. Right. So that's what they were doing. Right. Yeah. They're activists. Right. And I can't even tell you how many there's endless quotes as well about, um, you know, like revolution being the true happy place to be like revolution (laughs) is a celebration. Um, So, yeah, I I I don't want people to I I mean, if anything, it's not that I'm trying to uh, bolster the power of feminism by asking that you refer to it correctly. I just think that we should observe what feminism is correctly, which is a group that has a utopia in mind mm-hmm. and they're trying to get us there. Right. And so Wait, this, yeah. this is what this quote, are you guys ready? Here you go. Three political statements point the way to the liberation of housewives. The housewife role must be abolished. The family must be abolished. Gender roles must be abolished. I mean, if ever you were not aware that the destruction of the family was a goal, here you go. You better believe it is. Yeah. Because women, that's, and this is, this is alluding to something I said earlier. Women do have to worry about family. Right. They can get pregnant. They do get pregnant. Right. They have a role. If they get pregnant, they have a role to right. observe. Right when that happens right so for so for women to be like men they need to not be able to worry about having a family and about having to observe the role that a woman takes in a family right which means they can't observe the family right you have to be freed from it right and ultimately i think that all of these quote progressive um, moral movements, they try to tell us that they are freeing us. You'll hear that language. Like, right. this is oppressive and we're moving towards freedom. Well, and that is what that is what the unbeliever thinks freedom is. Freedom to the unbeliever is just their best guess. Doing whatever you want right. is freedom, but it's not because right. you're a slave to sin. Yes. And the thing about these these freeing us from the oppressive standards of the past is that in reality, these progressive movements are just moving us closer and closer to slavery, to the state. Feminists, every single wave of feminism, every single wave, and the one you're in now, and the one your Christian feminist friends in are busy building now. It has always been and has always made a huge deal about how the government must act and turn what they want what they believe is right, what should be required 
into a law and they're always appealing to the state mm-hmm. to make changes. And what you'll find is that the bedrock of civilization is the nuclear family and the state knows that. And that is why the state and these women who hate the family increasingly want more state, less family because the more destabilized families are, the more in control the state becomes. It becomes Mm -hmm. the nanny state. It becomes mother and father. It's the nanny state. That's how we got that phrase was that, well, when the moms leave the family, the nanny has to come in. Well, Mm -hmm. who's the nanny? The nanny is the state. And a weakened family has just huge cataclysmic effects along all kinds of societal and cultural lines. And the government knows that. And these women are smart and they know that. And that's why... Uh, They want your children in government schools. They keep taking them earlier and earlier and earlier. It's important to indoctrinate your kids. And since Christians aren't doing a great job of that all over the place, Mm -hmm. the state is increasingly doing so and legislating that if you want to teach something different than what they're teaching, you're not allowed to do that. Right. Well, that's how that's how they that's how they in a feminist utopia and where we are right now that is how you would control the people who you can't control right so like if you do have people that think oh no i think that being a wife and being a mom is it's like a it's an amazing part of of what i'm here to do and what i'm supposed to be doing and what i'm willing to sacrifice for yeah um so if you can create a law (laughs) that allows that person to not think that way right um, but what you get is this very totalitarian state, yes. this state that yes. like what, what I say goes, Yeah. Um, you, you don't have freedom, right? That's the, the big thing for me is that first of all, the world's standard of freedom, it's them desperately clawing at some little trace of what they know of freedom, <laughs> right? What they would imagine it right. to be. Yeah. So they're chasing this desire for freedom and they're trying to create a world in which they feel free. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not real freedom. Nope. And not everyone observes the same definition of freedom. <laughs> right. So not everyone can be free. Right. Right. And so it's really the reason why I've been switching back and forth from utopia and dystopia. Mm-hmm. It's just depending on who's who you're talking to, but right. it's a dystopia. Right. It really is. Right. Well, and a, at the end of the day, a biblical sexual ethic, a biblical view of man and woman is incredibly freeing. And I was telling you earlier, and I, I think you, I mean, it, this is so important this is why we should study history this is why we should know scripture is um nancy piercy talks about in love thy body the greco-roman empire and what marriage and sexuality looked like then and how countercultural scripture actually was to what was happening right um you know we hear all the time you know you listen to the rachel held evans's and, and all these people and they talk about oh the new testament had such a you know, when it fits their needs, like Paul was just really this crusty old guy who didn't have any revolutionary thoughts and mm. he was bound to his culture. Um, but the truth is that it was it was actually incredibly countercultural when he wrote in First Corinthians that um, the woman has authority over her husband's body and the husband has authority over his wife's body and how this relationship where sex should only be in the confines of marriage because if you look at the culture that was around them uh wives were property so the concept of them having authority over the man's body was crazy that was insane Mm -hmm. that was shocking yeah um and you had slaves back then and men were allowed to have sex with their slaves and and that's what their slaves a lot of times were for culturally that culturally that was completely acceptable and we see up until the fourth century um, church fathers urging husbands to stop 
Christian husbands right. to stop having sex with their slaves because this practice was so embedded in the culture. It was so normal that all sexual right, no sexual rights were due to the wife and the husband could do whatever he wanted. Right. And so it was revolutionary, this concept that, uh, no, <laughs> that your wife has authority over your body, you have authority over her body, and this is the only place that you can do this, right. is within this relationship. And that was incredibly revolutionary to the time. And I just find it so interesting that, you know, a lot of time egalitarians want to use these verses like, oh, look at how, look at how the Bible treats women and you crusty complementarians, mm -hmm. you got it all wrong. But they're, they're completely ignoring uh, this really amazing part of scripture that is so countercultural when right. it has to do with a biblical sexual ethic. Right. And so. Well, I, and even the what feminists are fighting against. I know that they cite the Bible quite a bit, but that's not like if you're actually going to look at the text, mm -hmm. these the issues that they have with it are not actual issues. Um, right. I mean, so like Betty Friedan, I just have this pulled up over and over again. Stories in women's magazines insist that women can know fulfillment only at the moment of giving birth to a child. They deny the years when she can no longer look forward to giving birth, even if she repeats the act over and over again. In the feminine mystique, there is no other way for a woman to dream of creation or of the future. There is no other way she can even dream about herself except as her children's mother, her husband's wife. That That's not a problem for the text. The, no. The text, the scripture says that women are more than that. Right. I know. So like this is not even. It's, it's It doesn't <laughs> understand scripture. And I right. think that. Um, it, it used us messing up. We met like feminism was a response to to some messed up gender roles sure. that existed sure the people that were implementing those messed up gender roles cited the bible on occasion right that's as close as we get to the right. scripture being wrong on this right right exactly <laughs> is the men taking is it and using it wrong right and understanding it wrong and the scripture is never wrong and then our response to it is wrong right right <laughs> and i think that um what's happening in our churches with feminism is that uh, we have this unhealthy relationship with scripture. We're not in it. We're not reading it. We're not understanding it. We're not studying it. Well, we're and not. we believe the feminists that cite right. it being used incorrectly. Like, right. We believe that it really right. it is that way. Right. We believe that God is a misogynist. Right. Right. And it's, it's all from misunderstandings. Right. And we have this, you know, we kind of deny how how we are defined by scripture. And instead of turning to scripture to try to understand it, I think we've ended up looking to the world to understand it because the world appeases our appetites, but it doesn't ultimately fill them, which is why I think feminists are some of the most angry women I know. Yeah. But as we, as we look at all of this, I think we have to move, we, we need to see it, call it what it is, denounce it. But I think we need to move past that and really do the work of showing that a biblical ethic of gender is a positive view of our bodies and who we are and how we're designed right. as part of the image of God. Yeah, there's a lot of miscommunication that happens there, I think. Yeah. I think we really think that what feminists would say about the Bible is true. Right. We're a little afraid of it. Right. We're a little afraid to even go there as women right. because we know that that age old story mm -hmm. about how the, the Bible doesn't honor women. Right. But it's not true. Right. It's not true at all. And I think that um, there, I think the worldly mind body divide has really crept into the church to where we really do undervalue being a woman and living in accordance with what that is. And because it's going to take some elbow grease to dig into the scripture and really understand this, because I think it is a holistic view. I don't think you can just, you know, obviously you can't just base your view of womanhood on Proverbs 31. You have to have a holistic view of scripture because it tells us 
who we are in light of God's design. And the biblical view of our bodies is a, is a positive one. It's not like, oh, well, sucks you were born a woman. It's like, I get that um, it's humans that have messed this story up. Right. Not God. Yeah. And, you know, we did the hard work back some sometime last fall, I think, of talking about the Levitical law and the laws in, mm. in Deuteronomy about around um, sexual abuse and all of these things. And like what we did when we really did the work to look into that was discover that God's view of our sexuality and, and our, who we are as women is so high that he put rapists to death. Right. That's the message of scripture is that when you violate a woman's body, you deserve the death penalty. You're violating the image of God. Right. Right. And so I think that what we need to be doing is, okay, moving past just this like, oh, well, I'm a woman and I love it. And I'm not just going to be like, I'm not going to be those crusty conservatives who just, you know, feminism has some good things in it. Well, no, it doesn't. It's not based on a holistic, biblical sexual ethic. The, the narration inside of it, the stories they tell are lies. And from the foundation, they have hated marriage. They have hated family. They have hated motherhood. It's a complete rejection of all that God has said is good. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, is that if you're coming at feminism with this desire to be compassionate and empathetic and all of these things, if you want true compassion towards women and empathy with women and love for women, you are going to have to go to scripture because the world hates our bodies. Right. They hate it. Yep. Look around. Yep. They hate our bodies. They're willing to inject. I mean, women, teenage, freedom, teenagers, freedom murder. Yes. It's promiscuity. Yes. It's, it's, it's monthly taking, cancerous pills right to keep your to sterilize yourself right i mean this it's hatred for the body it's it's forever chasing the fountain of youth because having a real body is shameful i mean if you want to find actual appreciation for who we are as women there there is one place you can go and it's not what the world is telling you it is mm -hmm. and your sympathies for this wicked ideology should just die. Yeah. Kill it. Mm -hmm. Let it go. Right. Feel a burden for people that think they've had a taste of freedom. Right. And it's found in all those things. Right. Like that is, that is sad. Yeah. That's why, I mean, we're tough on feminists here. Yeah. But I wouldn't say any of this if I didn't think it was really important. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because and there are, that means that, Betty Friedan and Jermaine Greer. Jermaine Greer, she spent her life hating her body, all in an attempt to love it and be more actualized and be more of a human and be right. more valuable. And right. she has chased, mm -hmm. whether she thinks she has or not, you can draw this line through her life where you see her running, desperately searching mm -hmm. for freedom. Mm -hmm. And she would admit herself that she still hasn't found it. Not until her feminist utopia. It's not going to be found there. Wow. That's sad. Yeah, it is. I don't have anything else. I don't either. I just think, I do hope that you guys hear that, like, we're really burdened for this issue. Um, that it's not enough to just know that feminism is bad. But what is good about being a woman? What is good about how you've been created? Um, you know, we've done episodes on that. And it's never as popular as our feminist episodes. Mm -hmm. And I get I get that because right. it's like, oh, well, this is interesting. What do you have to say about this over here? But ultimately, we're not denouncing feminism because it's fun or we might get more plays. It's because it's really important that we recognize the inherent wicked wickedness mm -hmm. in what they're saying so that we don't imbibe it right. and further bring it into the church. Well, and I understand the allure. I get it. Right totally get it right like it's the it's what it says it's self-glorification it, right it's all it's all sin mm -hmm. and it's all about is is this it mm -hmm. like i feel an emptiness mm -hmm. my question is how like how do i fill this 
Right. We all, and then they say a bunch of really great things. Right. About how great women are. Right. And how horrible men are. (laughs) And we all just want to believe that for a little bit, right? It's not true. Right. In your bitter, resentful moments. Yeah. When I'm being sinful, I'm, of course, I want to believe that women are the best. Right. (laughs) Because I'm a woman. I'm the best. (laughs) Of course, I want to believe that. Right. I know. But okay. don't. There but isn't don't. any freedom found there. No. Like, I, there is an absence. Mm-hmm. So everything that comes with suppressing the truth and unrighteousness, everything that comes from hating God, mm-hmm. everything that comes from having indiscriminate sex. Yeah. There, There's everything that comes from hating children and men, right. hating anyone in general, and just living this life of resentment and a feeling that society is against you. There right. just isn't any freedom there. No, there's none. So don't drink the Kool-Aid. Or the poison. Hey, you said you had a fun question. Oh, yeah. I was just... It's oh, been a while. Yeah, that's right. It's been a while since we had a fun question. And I feel like that was really... I feel like I kind of need to decompress a little bit. Yeah. Um, so ask me something fun. Well, now I have like... A, I have two questions that I really... Do them both. We're still talking. Okay. First of all... First of all, what is your favorite combination of colors? Let's just go with two. Okay. Yellow and blue. Okay. Easy. Okay. Like those are my happy colors, like a really dark, deep blue Mm -hmm. and a bright yellow. Okay. Those are my absolute favorite. All right. Also black on black. Wait. Yeah. Okay. My answer for you is going to be black and black. (laughs) Yeah. Also black on black is also like wearing black on black makes me happy. Right. Like that, that's what I feel happy in. Yeah. And I know that sounds revolutionary, but what can I say? I'm a Christian or revolutionary. <laughs> so get over it. Revolutionary. What's yours? Um, my two, the two colors that I see, can see together that make me the most happy are orange and pink. Okay. Which is weird because I really don't like pink. No. But you're... I like pink in like with other things. Okay. Um, that's very and orange and pink. Yeah. Those are my favorites. Okay. Or maybe orange and yellow. Okay. Good choices. Yeah. Um, also I just wanted to take a second to talk about how underrated pepper is and how overrated salt is. No, no. I was just thinking about this this week. What? Seriously? Yeah. Yeah. So I think about this probably every week okay (laughs) this is just one of my weird things okay so here's the thing my friend ashley she like doesn't keep salt she's like i season things i don't salt them Mm -hmm. and so i'm like dang that's fancy i need Mm -hmm. to try that and um so whenever i make indian food or asian food i need so much pepper i don't Mm. know what it is but for me pepper just makes all of those flavors better pepper is complex yeah. It pairs well with yeah. many, many things. It's like a, it's woman. a little bit spicy. Yeah. The only reason salt and pepper is so great uh. is because of pepper. Yes. It's way more complex than salt. True. Salt is just salty. It, yeah. And it's good for its thing. It's it's it does its thing. But All it's right. not the best no. of the pair. It's not. Pepper is. Yes. This is so true. And I don't even like cooking, so it's kind of weird <laughs> that just this week I was really I was really thinking about this yeah. this week. So right. I kind of love that you brought like, that up. Make a box of Kraft macaroni and cheese. And put pepper on it. Put pepper on it. Yes. And please tell me you didn't just like. Completely heightened. Yeah. Completely. Mm-hmm. Pepper on your mac and cheese is best. Pepper has the ability to heighten the flavor profile of a box of Kraft <laughs> macaroni and cheese. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. What can't Pepper That's do? That's all I'm saying. It's seriously, Pepper, if women were a seasoning, they would be Pepper. It heightens everything. Right. And you, it's complex and hard to understand, but it's great. And a great. little spicy. And a little spicy. <laughs> we figured it out. Pepper. Mm-hmm. It's the spice of life. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, gosh. Please tell me we're not about to dissolve into... Two straight okay. minutes of okay. laughter. So, that's, so what we should do is for sure ask you guys to like and share this episode because Facebook doesn't like business pages. So if you like us and if this encouraged you or did anything for you or just at interested all, you or if you hated it, like even then, like just 
share this episode, please. <laughs> and um, you can find us at patreon.com slash theologians for six bucks a month. You can partner with us, keep the mics on. Um, thank you to all of our Patreon supporters. You guys are the best. Especially, I bet we have some Patreon supporters that have been around since They've for been 100 for, episodes. For a long time. Yeah, they have. That's cool. I'm going to We cry. definitely wouldn't be here without you guys. Don't let me talk about that. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Wait, I legitimately cried earlier in the <laughs> I know episode. you did. I know. I was like, I already am. <laughs> I want you guys to know I legitimately was already crying. She was crying already. Which is so weird. And that was like three and a half hours ago <laughs> when we started this episode. <laughs> All right, you guys, we love you, and we'll see you next week for our 101st episode. See ya. Cause baby, now we got bad blood. You know it used to be mad love. So take a look what you